0: your Bibles into the book of Philippians chapter number two Philippians chapter number two we'll begin in verse number one we are in a series that we are calling gospel health and while we are thinking on that we are going to dismiss our bridge kids all of our elementary age students grades K through five your teachers are waiting for you there at the back They will take you downstairs to receive your lesson for this morning. We are in a series called Gospel Health. And what we are simply trying to accomplish in this series is to talk about just some foundational truths, doctrines, beliefs, and practices that flow from the gospel. Pastor Dominic started us off by dealing with, just spelling out for us, what is the gospel? Then the next week we talked about what's created as a result of the gospel. The gospel is the seed of the church. And so, we talked about the church, what, who she is, when she was born, what should be some of her marks as a church. And so as we look at more, as we talk about gospel health and the gospel health of the church, we thought it important to take some time to talk about fellowship and unity in regards to gospel Health. If we are gonna be a gospel healthy church, we must be a united church. Pastor Morgan helped us and reminded us of uh, last week that the gospel has created something new where there is now no, no distinction between Jew and Gentile and, and slave and free and, and what have you. And so the gospel creates something unique. A, un- a unity, a oneness that surpasses our understanding. How people so different can consider one another brother and sister now. And so we continue on that stream of thought, considering fellowship and unity. And for my little speech, Christmas speech this morning, I want us to look at Philippians chapter number. 2 beginning with verse number 1 Philippians 2 beginning with verse number 1 I am struggling this morning to retain moisture (laughs) so y'all gonna have to help me read this morning (laughs) yeah yeah so I will do um, verses 1 through 4 And then I'm going to let y'all read 5 through 11. Let us stand in honor and reverence to God's holy word. I'll read through verse number 4. And then you will read verses 5 through 11. I gave y'all the good part, so good luck. I hope we can all get through it as we read it. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, Let each of you not look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, a church that he has a lot of love and care for, a, a church that has been super generous to him. And he writes partly to say thank you for their generosity, their love, and their care for him. But he also writes to them to encourage them or to teach them how to live in the midst of a world that is hostile towards them. They, because of their faith, are being persecuted, misunderstood, because of the cause of Christ. And to these Philippians, Philippi, a a part of Rome, Something that they as citizens of Rome would have taken a lot of pride in as being a citizen of Rome. He now takes the time to tell them and remind them, though you are a citizen of Rome, don't forget that you have a higher citizenship. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20, he calls it out. He says, your citizenship is in heaven. And so that them being heavenly citizens, he says to them, beginning in chapter one, verse 27, he says, act like heavenly citizens. And as you act like heavenly citizens in this world, it's important that you stand together and that you stand firm as you suffer for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. He lets them know that divided they will fall. So if they are going to persevere in the midst of persecution, then they must be united. This, 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 what we've read today really is like one long sentence in the original language. There is really one imperative, one command, one order in chapter two, verse number two. Here it is. Complete my joy. That is this passion request of them. Let's say that maybe this is every pastor's Christmas wish. Make my joy full by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of one mind. that's, that's, That's the title of the message. A pastor's Christmas wish. That we would be together, united. That's the petition here in Philippians chapter 2. The pastor's plea, his appeal to them, is to make me full of joy by being together, by being united. What does that look like practically though, pastor? It, 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 I, I hear you. I, I, I know you want us to be united, but what? Well, tell me what I can actually do to keep unity in the body. Verse three, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Ooh, this this ain't Christmas right here. Count others more significant than yourselves. Helpless helpless, helpless. To 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 be a gospel healthy church, to be a gospel centered. Fully devoted follower of Christ is to be others focused. And when we focus on others, then we will do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition, what is that, Pastor? It is to pursue something for your own benefit. Selfish Ambition does not consider the cost or the effect something that we do or say will have on others. To do something from selfish ambition or conceit is to be self centered. And as we consider even in this Christmas season, we have to ask ourselves, are our activities motivated by selfish ambition or conceit? Well, Matter of fact, let me bring it even closer to home. We have to consider that even what we do in the church isn't motivated by selfish ambition. Is it to make ourselves feel better? To diminish our own guilt? Is it really others' focus? Paul says, he teaches this church at Philippi and us that to do anything from selfish ambition or conceit is inconsistent with the gospel. He says, rather in humility, it is to, to, to have a, a lower way of thinking of oneself. Not, not, not to think think low of oneself, but to bring her down to a right view of one's self. He says in humility, we ought to consider, consider others more significant than our own selves. Humility, beloved, means we look not only to the interest of our own, but to the interest of others as well. To to be humble, to have gospel humility, is to not cling to one's own rights and privileges. (laughs) Y'all just don't know what I'm talking about right now. One of the things that just makes me cringe is to hear Christians, hear church folk talk about what their rights are and what they're not going to do because of their rights. I'm an American. Paul says your citizenship primarily is in heaven. And so he says you ought to humble yourself. We we, we we follow a servant who says you gotta actually deny yourself. Yeah, yeah. So to be humble is to not cling so tightly to one's own rights and privilege. And since I'm already out there <laughs> This this I think these verses are crucial especially, especially for a multi-ethnic church. I have, I don't know if that was for me or not, but I'll take it. <laughs> Beloved, there is so much where we could have selfish ambition. We could demand our way of doing things. Can I, can I give, give you a few? Y'all remember when we went through, the church went through, I don't know, maybe she still is, but the church went through the worship wars. There was a war, there was a group of people who wanted hymns only. Then there was a group of people that wanted contemporary music. Now, 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 let me put myself away out there. (laughs) And and so what pastors did as a result is to try to, uh, let me see, keep peace in the church. They created two separate services, a traditional or classic service and a contemporary service. See, that's peacekeeping. But Jesus said, bless all the peace. Y'all better preach in here. And and, and what we did was let people know it's okay to demand your way, your preferences, rather than sacrificially giving up for the sake of another. The, the, The grandchild who wants contemporary music ought to be thinking about the grandma. The so grandma ought to just be saying, I'm glad my grandchild is in the house of the Lord, so I'll sit through that. In a multi-ethnic church, you, you, we, we, in, in this multi-ethnic church, you, you'll sh- show up on a Sunday morning and talk about Jesus. Oh, what a wonderful child. And y'all are like, what is this? What are we singing? And then you'll get a throwback light Uh, oh come all ye faithful and then in a few minutes we'll start singing something like what a beautiful name it is those don't share the same uh, music stations by the way (laughs) but in a multi-ethnic church we do nothing from selfish ambition we consider others There's ethnic differences, political differences, all all here this morning. And Paul says, don't let that keep us from being united for the sake of the gospel. To preserve unity, we must humbly consider the interest of others. How, how how in the world? Can you show me what that looks like, pastor? Can you break it down just a little bit more? You, you've gotten a little more practical, which is hard for this abstract guy. Can, can you make it a little more practical? Can you give me an example of what this humility looks like? Somebody who didn't seek selfish ambition but consider others more significant than themselves. So can you give me an example of that? No, 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 Paul wants to do that for you. Look at verse five, he says, have this mind among yourselves. He, he says, have this attitude, this way of thinking, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Though he was God, he didn't use all his divinity for his own advantage. He didn't use it selfishly. But rather, verse 7, he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. There's your Christmas. Y'all thought I wasn't going to get to Christmas this year. Here, Here it is. This is what Christmas ought to remind us of. We've been hoodwinked and bamboozled in the church by the culture Mm -hmm. to think a certain way about Christmas. But what Paul here reminds us in Philippians chapter two is that when you think about the baby in a manger, you ought to be thinking about humility. You ought to be thinking about others. And by the way, what he's talking about here, when he's talking about thinking of others, this is not just your babies. Because see, some of y'all are going to try to get out of this by saying, well, I bought gifts for my babies. That's not what Paul is talking about here. Because what Paul is about to say is, don't forget, not only when we talk about Jesus as our example, not only are we going to talk about the incarnation, God becoming man, but we're also going to talk about the crucifixion, God for man. So as we think about Christmas, beloved, Philippians 2 ought to come in our mind saying this is about others. God. Look look what Paul says, verse 7. He says, he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. That's a really nice term when they say servant. The, the, The word really probably should be slave. Beloved, the king of kings. Became a slave. Man, I wish I could help y'all see this. The king. Became a slave. He emptied himself. And was born in the likeness of man. And I've told y'all before. This, this is, this, no, often we call this the Humiliation. Of Christ. He who is pure, now having to lay with dirty, dingy animals. He who is pure, being surrounded by the smell of manure. Is the Lord of Lords, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, says, "I'm gonna come a little bitty baby." My God. My God. He took on the limitations of mankind. He who is all knowing, all powerful, all seeing, took on arms that can only reach so far, feet that can only walk so fast. He became what we were so we could one day become like him. Took on the likeness of men and was found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross. Jesus took on the lowly stature, nature, and position of a man for the sake of others. He died not for his own benefit, but for the benefit of others. He considered your interest and my interest. And Paul says he became obedient. Even unto death, death on the cross. But if we're celebrating Christmas, why are you talking about death, reverend? Because Matthew said, his name shall be called Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. His destiny in being born was to die. Why does Paul emphasize this even death on the cross? This is emphatic, this, this would have been startling for a Roman citizen. Death on a cross was not a heroic death or a noble death. Death on a cross was shameful and disgraceful. The cross displayed the lowest depths of human depravity and cruelty. It was the most brutal form of torture and execution. Roman law reserved the cross for the worst of criminals and the most violent insurrectionists. Cicero called death on a cross a most cruel and disgusting punishment. It was said the cross is the worst extreme of tortures inflicted upon slaves. To bind a Roman citizen is a crime. To flog him is an abomination. To slay him is almost an act of murder. To crucify him is what? There is no fitting word that can possibly describe so horrible a deed. And this is gospel humility. Christ died that death. This, beloved, is what? humility looks like so then is that really worth it pastor well let's keep reading worship team you can come back therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The cross is the path to glory. Jesus has now Gone from humiliation to exaltation. He is in a class of his own. He, it has been, God the Father has bestowed on, on him the name that is above every name. He has granted him a name that is above every name. That name Now, to the glory of God the Father. And we are told that at the end of time, every knee will bow. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is our master, He is our ruler, He is our Lord. So then how do we respond? We've sang it this morning. We respond in adoration. We worship him, every knee That's what Christmas ought to be about for believers. Worship. Worship. He is Lord. He is the master and ruler. So that does also demand and require obedience. Worship. Obey. It's called Christmas is a reminder that we are to humble ourselves by considering others more significant than ourselves. And that is what I pray we will meditate on, ponder on, reflect on, examine ourselves. Have we made ourselves the center of Christmas? Have we made our own little kingdom, our family, the center of Christmas? What are you doing to consider others in your church more significant than yourselves? How are you considering the interest of others as a sign of gospel humility? Father, we come to you today acknowledging that we are not always as humble as the example of Christ. We don't often die to our own preferences, our own wishes, but rather we demand a certain way our rights and our privileges. And so God, we ask that you would change us, have mercy upon us, forgive us, Keep our gaze upon Christ in this season. And God, we look forward to that day when you will honor our sacrifices, our humility, and we too will be exalted with Christ our King and our Lord. Lord, what a beautiful name It is a name that is above every name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us stand.